I just don't get tired of saying it. He is risen. He is risen wow, think about that. All the stuff that you're afraid of, he's overcome. He's overcome. You know, I always get, I always get all wound up on Easter, but I'm trying to keep myself under control this week because, because the Lord laid a very different kind of Easter message on my heart. And you know, there's the excitement, there's the thrill. He rose from the dead. Death, death is defeated. But you know what Jesus said after the resurrection? was this. He said, my peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I want to put not just excitement in your heart. That's well and good and awesome and terrific, but I want to put my peace in your heart. And in a moment, we're going to talk about what that looks like. But, but first of all, it's great to see you. Welcome. Thanks for your huge patience. Can everybody in the sanctuary turn around and wave at everybody outside the sanctuary back there? Says, do that. Come on, do that, because we're all together in this. Thank you so much for being gracious and patient and sitting out there in the foyer. You know, the next step after the children's building is done is we want to make this sanctuary a little bigger for special times like this and make room for everybody. So huge thanks. And to everybody who's joining us online, hope you're getting ready for an awesome Easter supper. You know, it's the tradition on Easter to have the Passover ham. You know that, right? Right? If you don't understand that, there's kind of an inside joke there, but... I don't want you to be at all worried about me home alone without my wife on Easter. <laughs> Try not to think of me. Actually, huge thanks because like about a million people have invited me over. But actually, uh, our son and his wife will be coming over for Easter. So you don't have to worry about me being home alone. And, um, you know, Rhonda already made what we're going to cook. So I just warm it up. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Hey, speaking, speaking of Rhonda and our missions team, uh, on this Easter morning, can I just share with you a video clip, a short one, of our missions team on the field in Uganda this Easter weekend, okay? They're serving uh, the kids over there. G give your attention to the screen for just a moment. Just enjoy. Mm -hmm. Easter weekend. Did you notice that it's not raining there? <laughs> right? My wife sent me that and she said, look, it's not raining here. <laughs> right after I told her what it was doing here. Uh, I heard on the news that today is supposed to be the wettest day of the year. How about that, huh? We're going to do an Easter egg hunt anyway. Amen? We're going to do it anyway. Bring your boots, bring your umbrellas. We're going to have a great time. It, it, it's good to be with you. I hope you have plans today to celebrate with your family. Uh, and I hope that as we open God's word for a little bit, you will let the Spirit of Jesus give to you his peace. It, it, it's a supernatural thing. It is what follows the thrill and the excitement. And it's what makes the thrill and the excitement deeper. 
his peace. And so we're going to talk about that in God's word this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Luke's gospel, chapter uh, 24, but we're going to move around a little bit. Mark chapter 16 is really where we're going to wind up at in the end. But on this Easter Sunday, can I just say to you, first of all, that, that your Father in heaven loves you, church. He delights in us, not because we get everything right, not because we do everything right, but because we believe because we choose to believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Savior. And, and it is so easy to underestimate how deeply that delights and satisfies the Father's heart. So this morning on resurrection morning, remember that. Rest in that. Have peace in that. And, and, and let's talk a little bit about peace. As you know, Easter is a celebration of the fact that death no longer has the last word. It no longer is the great terror in our lives. It no longer puts an end to everything we are or everything we hope for. Death, Jesus proved at Easter, has been defeated. But as we're going to see this morning, it's not only the death of the body that's been defeated, but it's another kind of death, one that happens on the inside one that happens in our spirits, in the eternal part of us that Jesus has overcome at Easter. And let me just say, there's, there's an enormous difference between living in the fear of death and living without the fear of death. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, that Jesus came specifically to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I wonder if, if death is something that, you know, when you're alone, when you're honest with yourself, you aren't afraid of. I wonder if it isn't something that haunts you, something that casts a shadow over your heart. Well, if it does, know this. That's specifically what Jesus wants to undo. He wants to transform the way you think and feel about death. The Apostle Paul wrote about what that feels like over in Philippians chapter 1 when he said this. He said, to me, to live is Christ, and catch this, to die is gain. We, we think of death as a loss. Paul says, because of Jesus, I understand that I lose nothing and I gain everything. And because of that, he says, my whole attitude about life, my whole perspective on it is completely different. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. If I'm here, if I'm in this life, it means I've got good things to do. I want to do them. Love those near me. Love my enemies. Serve people in a meaningful way. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will be fruitful labor for me. But he says... You know, my heart's really somewhere else. He says, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Do you ever feel that? Say amen. Anybody ever want out? Paul says, I want out because I know that what's ahead is so good. Not the loss of anything, but the gain of everything. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But he says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, at least for a time. So convinced of this, I know I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. Think of what a different attitude that is. Most of our world lives in fear of that day when the grim reaper comes knocking at their door. But the follower of Jesus says, man, I can't wait for that day 
when I go home to the Father's house, to the place Jesus has been preparing for me. And because I'm so looking forward to that, in the meantime, I want to do some good. I want to make a difference. I want to touch some lives. I want to share the good news. God wants to bring that transformation into your heart and mine. Because when you lose your fear of something, then you gain the ability to laugh at it. I, I came across a website this week full of one-liners about death. And those of you who know me ahead of time, I make no apologies for the dumb jokes I'm about to make, all right? I'm just, no apologies. This is who I am. Enjoy. Uh, a collection of one-liners about death. For example, this one. I saw an ad for burial plots, and I thought, well, this is the last thing I need. Right? It's bad. I told you it wasn't good. How about this one? My dad passed away when we couldn't remember his blood type, but he wasn't discouraged. He just kept telling us, be positive, be positive. <laughs> you heard about the guy who drowned and his three best friends showed up at the funeral wearing life jackets on. When asked why, they said, we think it's what he would have wanted. Right? You can laugh at it. Someone asked, will glass coffins ever be popular? I said, remains to be seen. Yeah, remains to be seen. <laughs> What do you call the soft tissue between a shark's teeth? It's a slow swimmer. That's what it is. It's a slow swimmer. We're going to hit the bottom of the barrel here. Where do zombies like to go swimming? In the Dead Sea. Let's just move right past that. What is Mozart doing right now? He's decomposing. You're with me on that. Finally, last one. A new study reveals that five out of six scientists say that Russian roulette is actually safe. Five out of six. It's a good odds. It's statistical studies that help us yeah but 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 here's the thing church see god wants to take death and turn it into something that we can laugh at because we're so unafraid of it matter of fact most of you know that i'm kind of a history nerd and there's a there's a fragment of parchment that survives from the first century that is written by a man who was what we would call today a, a travel writer uh you know, the history was that wealthy Roman citizens would hire somebody to kind of scout out the best places to visit. And, and this guy was doing that. And so he would write reports back to his patron about things he should see. Pretty cities, amazing temples, ocean bays, mountains, so on. And so we have a fragment, uh, about a half page of parchment, of him writing to his patron about several things in the area of Palestine and Israel. And then there's this amazing paragraph in which he writes these words. He says, and when you get to the city of Antioch, be sure when you're there that you go and see the Christians. Now, I'll give you a little background. Antioch was the first place where followers of Jesus were called Christians. That happened within just a couple of decades of that first Easter. So that's the first place where Christians were known as Christians. And this travel writer says, when you go to Antioch, in the city of Antioch, you'll find a bunch of them, and you want to be sure and go see them. And here's what he says. Because they are a strange and wonderful people. Who would agree with the strange part? The end, right? Yeah. Strange, and here's what he says, they're a strange and wonderful people. Whenever any one of their number passes from this life, they gather together and feast and celebrate, and they talk as if the person were not actually dead, but had only gone to another place for a little while, and as if soon they would be reunited. They even rejoice this way when one of their children passes from this life. 
be sure when you go to Antioch, you go see the Christians. Wow, what an amazing way to live. What an amazing way to look at death. Here at MRCC, in the last four weeks, we've had four funerals. And we're blessed that all of them were for believers. And every one of them was filled with a spirit of looking forward to the resurrection and the reunion that's inevitable. God wants that for us. He wants that peace for us. And he wants that joy for us. When you're not afraid of anything more, uh, when you're not afraid of something anymore, you can laugh at it. And God wants us to feel that. So this morning, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. You know the Easter story. It's found in Luke chapter 24 and other places. But here's, here's what the gospel says happened on Easter morning. It says, on the first day of the week, Sunday was the first day of the week, Saturday, the end of the week in Jewish tradition, Sunday, the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, spices to embalm the body of Jesus, and, and they went to the tomb. But when they got there, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. They had seen Jesus crucified on Friday night. They had seen him die. They had seen him be buried in a tomb that was then sealed with a stone. They had seen a, a Roman guard placed on the, the tomb so that no one would, would mess with it. Nevertheless, when they got there, they found the guards gone and the stone rolled away. And when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. That's why to this day we have that Easter tradition of saying he is risen and he is risen indeed. But can I invite you for a moment to just imagine how that felt this morning? Maybe I can help you with that a little bit. Think of those people that mean so much to you, that you care about so much. Maybe a mom, a dad, maybe a child, a son or a daughter, maybe a brother or sister, maybe a, a great friend. What would it feel like to know that they were alive again and that you could see them again and that you could talk to them again. When I think about that, my dad passed away last fall. My grandfather was very significant to me, passed away a few years ago. There are others. But I think of all the things, oh, I could say this that I, I never got to say. I could say that. I could hear them tell me about this. We could talk in ways that maybe we were too busy to ever do and all the hustle and bustle of life. Oh, my goodness, they're alive again. That's what the first Easter felt like. I think of people dear to me. Do you think of people dear to you? What would you say? Easter means that we live in a world where death doesn't have the last word. And, and this wasn't a temporary thing, this resurrection. The scripture says, as the days went on, Jesus appeared to the disciples again and again several times. He showed himself to them. He allowed them to touch him. He ate with them. He encouraged them. He prayed for them, and he gave them and us this great mission to share with the world that death doesn't have the last word, that the grace of God is available to anyone willing to receive it in Jesus. So the resurrection was just the beginning of the rest of the story. And, and this resurrection thing, it wasn't entirely unprecedented. Maybe you didn't know this, but, but resurrections occurred before Easter. 
We read in the Old Testament, for example, back in 1 Kings chapter 17, about how Elijah went and raised from the dead the, the, the son, only son of a widow who had chosen to serve God, raised him from the dead, laid hands on him, prayed over him. He came back from the dead. We read in 2 Kings chapter 13 about a, a man who was dead and was thrown into the prophet Elisha's tomb. And the Bible says that when he touched his body, touched the, the bones of the prophet, he rose to life and walked out again, which is quite a surprise for the dudes who threw him in there. We read in Luke chapter 7 about another only son of a widow. Jesus passed a memorial service. He saw the tears. He saw the grieving. He saw the weeping. And the Bible says he said, stop, open this casket. And he gave that mother back her son. He raised him from the dead. He did the same thing with the daughter of the synagogue ruler Jairus in Luke chapter 8. He did the same thing with his friend Lazarus, whose sisters Mary and Martha were grieving so hard. Jesus came and again raised him from the dead. His message to them and to us again and again and again is death is not the end. It's not the last word. He has power over it. And a, and a whole bunch more resurrections. Maybe you didn't know this. I was talking with a brother a couple of weeks ago who didn't know this. He, he said, Pastor, is that in my Bible? I said, absolutely, it's in your Bible. Do you realize that over the Easter weekend, Jesus wasn't the only one resurrected? In fact, many more were. Here's what Matthew tells us in chapter 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice on the cross, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Talk about what that means when we're closing today. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of their tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Maybe you didn't know that. I think that that would have made Mulder and Scully absolutely crazy that weekend. It would just put on one episode after another. I think maybe the ghost hunters would have turned it into a whole season, you know, about what happened on this weekend. But, but that's part of the story. Why? Because God wants us to know that death doesn't have the last word, that in Jesus there's forever life. There were some wide-eyed and tear-strained reunions that first Easter weekend. Can you imagine getting a knock on your door and you open it? And there's the person whose memorial you attended. There's the person who mattered so much to you that you grieved their death. There were a lot of resurrections over Easter weekend. And then they didn't end with Easter weekend. They went on after Easter as well. Acts chapter 9 tells how the apostle Peter prayed for a woman named Dorcas who had died. And she came back to life. Over in Acts chapter 20, the Bible tells us that a, a guy named Eutychus fell asleep when the pastor just kept droning on forever and ever, which makes me feel better because nobody's actually died while I was preaching before. But that's what happened with Paul. And the apostle, maybe in shame and embarrassment, ran out there and laid hands on him, and he came back to life. And these sort of resurrection things continued to happen. Why? Because God wants us to know that the death of the body isn't the end of life. Because God wants you and I to know that in Christ there is eternal life. But, but here's the thing, friends. These physical resurrections didn't really solve everyone's problems. You know, on the one hand, every single person who was raised from the dead except for Jesus eventually did, guess what? They passed away again. Because the raising of the body isn't the point. It's what the Bible calls a sign or a wonder. It points to something significant. But in and of itself, 
It's not the point. You see, the body can be raised and the spirit left dead. And at Easter, God not only wants us to know that there is resurrection of the body, he wants you and me to know that there is resurrection of your spirit from the inside out. I will never forget a day that I sat in a jail cell. Now, brace yourself because I'm going to tell you something ugly here. But I sat in a jail cell with a man who had gotten blind drunk, and in his drunkenness, he had sexually assaulted his own teenage daughter. And as I sat with that man, do you know what he told me? I don't want to live. I don't want resurrection. I don't want to go on living. I want to die. I want to cease to be. I want to stop. That was a tough conversation. But you understand, see, something can happen to the spirit that resurrection of the body alone can't heal or restore. And that's what Jesus also wants us to know at Easter because he came to resurrect the inside as well as the outside. C.S. Lewis wrote famously about what our faith reveals about our nature. And he used these words. Listen carefully. He says, the Christian faith asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years or so, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy is getting worse, but so gradually that the increase in 70 years or so will hardly be noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. And in fact, hell is precisely the correct biblical term for what it would be. In other words, you and me are more than bodies, and so just fixing our bodies can't heal us. At Easter, Jesus comes to bring a resurrection that goes deeper than the body. The Bible tells us that this was the case from the very beginning. A little detail, we won't spend time on it, but in the story of Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve ate and sinned and were cast out of the garden, the Bible says that God locked the garden, wouldn't let them back in because he said if they do, they might eat from the tree of life and then they would live forever with broken hearts. They would live forever with that sin and shame and guilt on the inside. He says, I don't want that for them, so we're going to go on this whole journey that's going to end with Jesus doing his work on the cross. Do you know anyone whose heart is frozen in bitterness or shame or hate or regret? If you do, then you can understand how just giving them an immortal body wouldn't solve all their problems. There's something on the inside that needs to be healed. And that's what Jesus comes to do. That's what Jesus wants to do. Not only the excitement of looking forward to an eternal life, but of looking forward to an eternally free, delivered, joyful life. And that resurrection is part of Easter as well. Because in the end, we need something deeper than the resurrection of body. And that, as we get ready to turn into the home stretch here this morning, is why my favorite part of the Easter story is found in Mark's account, Mark chapter 16. 
There's two little words that Mark shares with us that never cease to thrill me and that never cease to give me peace my God wants me to have. Listen to Mark's account of the same Easter morning, chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. The Bible says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. We saw that in Luke's account. Very early on the first day of week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and wondered who will roll the stone away. But when they looked up, when they got there, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Come and see the place where they laid him. It's empty. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. In other words, the angel said, ladies, I want you to understand that because of what Jesus has done, death isn't the end, it's the beginning. It's the start of the real story that goes on and on and on forever. And that would have been thrilling to them. And and they were instructed to go tell the disciples about it and that they would meet Jesus in Galilee. And in fact, when we read the rest of the Gospels, we find that that's exactly what happened. And Jesus ate with them and he taught them and he blessed them and he gave them that message. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And the story goes on right down to our day. But there's two words in the story that just leap out at me. The angel says to the women, go tell his disciples and... Peter. He mentions Peter by name. Why do you think he did that? Well, let me tell you a little bit of Peter's backstory, and you'll understand why God told the angel to mention Peter by name. You see, Peter, he loved Jesus, gave his life to him, wanted to follow him, walked with him throughout his ministry on earth, one of the first disciples Jesus chose. And, and Peter was all in with Jesus. So much so that when the time came to go to the cross, when the time came that Jesus began to say to the disciples very clearly, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me, they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die there. Peter said, no, Lord, no, we can't let this happen. And he argued with Jesus about it. It's a poignant moment. And at the end of the argument, Jesus says, Peter, this has got to happen. You don't even know what you're talking about. But what I'm going to go do is for you and for everyone. So this has got to happen. Well, then Peter said this. You know what, Lord? Even if all these other guys ditch you, even if all the rest of them run away, even if all the rest of them give up, I won't. I'm with you to the end. I will be there all the way to the last moment. Jesus said, all of you are going to scatter. You're going to get scared in the shadow of death, my death, your death. You're going to get scared and you're going to run. Peter says, not me. And I relate to Peter because there are times when I find myself saying that kind of thing to God. God, I won't let you down. You can count on me. You can trust me. I'm all in, Lord. Leave this in my hands. I got it. There's times when I'm tempted to say that. Although, if I can be honest, I say it less and less as I get older. <laughs> But Peter's feeling that in that moment. Jesus says, Pete, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times with an oath. 
They're going to deny me to my face. Peter says, no way, not me. Well, as the story unfolded, they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. Peter tried to fight. Jesus says, no, I don't want you to fight. And then Peter, with all the rest, ran away. And when he ran away, I'm sure he remembered his words in that moment. And so, so he comes back and he positions himself at the entrance to the courtyard where Jesus is being tried and, and, and ultimately convicted by a kangaroo court. And as he's standing there in that courtyard, some people who were also standing there said, hey, you were one of his guys, aren't you? How would you respond if somebody said, you're with him? Peter said, no, I don't even know who he is. They said a second time, no, 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 we've seen you. You're with him. You're one of his guys. We recognize your face. He said, no, not me. Got the wrong guy. Mistaken identity. And a third time they said, no, 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 we're sure. You were with him the whole time. You're one of his guys. And the scripture says that Peter swore with an oath. I don't know the man. I have nothing to do with him. He's not with me. I'm not with him. I'm paraphrasing. And the Bible says that in that moment, Jesus turned and his eyes and Peter's met. Can you imagine what that felt like? Imagine what that felt like for Peter. Here's his friend. He knows Jesus loves him. Here's this man that he's made promises to, and now he's broken them, and he's broken them to his face. The Bible says that after that moment, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Yeah, it's easy to understand why. And, and, and because of that, when the angel gave the message to the women, go tell his disciples, if that had been it, if Peter hadn't been mentioned by name, he would have heard that message. The Lord is risen. He's inviting his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Peter would have said, well, I used to be one. But I can't look in those eyes again. I can't face that moment again. Peter's shame and his guilt would have kept him from celebrating the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus alive is different than Jesus and him in relationship. But God the Father said, hey, angel, when you talk to the women, be sure to tell them to call Peter by name. I want him to hear me calling him by name so that he will come. And the end of the story is that when Peter heard that, he came to Jesus downcast. He came to Jesus with his guilt and with his shame, thinking it could never be the same again. And instead, the Lord said, I still want you. I still have a calling for you. I love you. You're mine. You haven't changed my heart one iota. I am for you and I want you. Here's why I love this part of the Easter story. It's there because God wants you to know the same thing. You know, our shame and our guilt can keep us from going to Jesus and having our relationship with God restored. We say, oh, I can't face it. You don't know what I did. You don't know how I failed. You don't know how many times I've fallen short. And so we pull back. You know, at Easter, there were two people who had to make a choice. One was Judas and one was Peter. Judas said, I, I can't go. Peter did go. He knew 
that he was called and invited. In the same way, God wants you and I to know this on Easter morning because resurrection of the body is just the first part. The rest of it is resurrection of your heart. The rest of it is knowing that you're restored, knowing that you're wanted. And God wants to resurrect you out of shame and guilt and failure. He wants you to stop looking in the mirror and look in his eyes instead because that is part, the biggest part of resurrection. Can I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning and give yourself and those around you just a little sacred space here for a moment. The Holy Spirit says this morning, I'm calling you by name. I want you to come to me. I want you to bring your shame and bring your guilt and let me wash it away. I want you to know that eternal life is life in my heart, is life in my mind, in my love. And he's inviting you to go to him again to receive that resurrection. To know that nothing's changed. He hasn't given up on you. You haven't gone too far. You haven't crossed the line that can't be crossed. Not yet. He's calling you to himself that your spirit might be resurrected as well as your body. And if you're here and you've never taken your shame or your guilt to Jesus, he invites you to in this moment. He said, wherever two or more of you are gathered, I'll be there in your midst. And he's here now for you. And he hears your heart. And if you will take your failures, those, that guilt, that shame, that regret, and you will bring it to him, he will restore your heart. You'll find that his love for you hasn't changed, not at all, not even a little bit. The Bible says that our Savior is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And he calls you to be resurrected on the inside on this Easter Sunday. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for those two words the angels spoke and what they meant to Peter who knew how deeply he had failed. God, we pray this morning as we go from here that it would be with an awareness that we are welcomed into your presence in spite of our failures. All you ask is that we come again, that we might discover how wide and high and deep is your love. We pray for that. Capture our hearts with your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church? Keep your elbows in. It's a little tight in here. But at the beginning, we mentioned that on Easter morning, they found that temple veil torn to. The significance of that is God was inviting us to come into his presence, to receive his grace. That's why that happened at Easter, because that's where the resurrection on the inside happens. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you into this Easter celebration. Hearing Jesus say, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. He is risen. Amen.